Hello, and welcome to the Rough Edges podcast with Sarah I. Fox. In this podcast, I will guide you through my faith and mental health journey to dispel the stigma surrounding mental illness and to create an empowering resource for those who wish to discover more about these topics. I pray that this podcast will not only bless you, but that it will bring growth and healing to our communities. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Rough Edges. Today, I am so excited about my guest. Her name is Dr. Nicole Washington. Dr. Nicole Washington is a native of Baton Rouge, Louisiana, where she attended Southern University and A&M College. After receiving her Bachelor's of Science degree, she moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma to matriculate at Oklahoma State University College of Osteopathic Medicine. She completed residency in psychiatry at the University of Oklahoma in Tulsa and a master's degree in public health through the University of Illinois at Chicago. Since completion of her residency training, Dr. Washington has spent most of her career caring for and being an advocate for those who are not typically consumers of mental health services namely underserved communities, those with severe mental illness, and high-performing professionals. With a passion for educating others about mental illness, she speaks on a variety of topics to colleagues and the general public. Through her private practice, podcasts, speaking, and writing, she seeks to provide education in efforts to decrease the stigma associated with psychiatric illness. Welcome, Dr. Nicole. Hey, thank you for having me. Yes, I am so, so happy to have you on the podcast today. And before we dive into our various topics, I wanted to ask, what are three things that you are most passionate about and why? Oh, do they have to be related to psychiatry? No, they don't. (laughs) Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Because we'll get into all that stuff later. Um, Okay, so I am passionate about my children. Um, they're amazing. They're 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 growing up into adulthood, and I'm watching it unfold. I'm watching all the fruits of my parenting labor kind of kind of bloom and blossom in front of my eyes, and it's amazing. So I I am passionate about that. Um, right now, I'm passionate about figuring out who I am with adult children in this new phase of my life, and figuring out where, like, who am I? Because I'm I'm definitely not the same person I was before I had children. And this is a new a new era, as it, it's what the young people say. I'm in, I'm in my figuring myself out era. That's what I'm trying to figure it out. Um, so I, I'm trying to figure out like you know who I am. So I'm passionate about getting to know myself again and figuring out like wh- what do I want? What do I want my hobbies to be? Where do I want to spend my free time? Who do I want to spend my time with? So that that is something I'm becoming very passionate about. And I am finding myself passionate again about cooking. I love cooking. I love being in the kitchen. Um, but I have let it go um, for a lot of reasons. Time, uh, you know, not not having the skill set to cook things that I should be eating on a regular basis, you know, all, mm-hmm. the, all the things. So I'm, 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 learn- I'm becoming passionate about cooking again, um, getting back in the kitchen because I, I love it so, so much. 
Oh, I love all of that, especially like, you know, being a mom of adult children. And like you said, trying to like seek more of like who you are and your passions and what you really want for yourself. And about the cooking, I'm the same way. Like I don't really cook as often as I want to, but I really do enjoy it. And so what is like your favorite thing to cook like right well, now? I um, I grew up in Louisiana. So I am, uh, I, I am big and, and, and I live in Oklahoma. So I grew up in Louisiana. I live in Oklahoma. So you would imagine the food is very different in Oklahoma from Louisiana. And I've been here for almost 25 years at this point, but I have had to cook those things that I want from back home. So I do enjoy mm-hmm. cooking kind of Southern things. Like I enjoy gumbo and fried fish and jambalaya and shrimp Creole and things like that. So um, it is, I I enjoy cooking those kinds of things because it just reminds me of home and it's, it's just fun. You know, it's nostalgic and it it just reminds me, reminds me of home. Yes. Yes. Uh, I, I appreciate that too. I'm from, well, my family's from the Caribbean. So we have like that heavy, like West Indian food. Like, so I, I definitely know what it's like to get food from home, you know? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. So Dr. Nicole, I really, first off, let me say, I really appreciate just how acclaimed you are with like all your accomplishments, all your expertise. Like I, I just really admire how much you do for like the underserved communities. So can you share a little bit about your experience in the mental health field and what made you to decide a career in that sphere? Hmm. You know, when I got to medical school, psychiatry was nowhere on my radar. I never thought I would be a psychiatrist. I, I don't know what I thought I was going to do, probably something like peds or, or be an ob doc. And that may be just because those are the doctors I had experience with and exposure to. Um, but then I got to medical school and I did, you know, the first two years of medical school, you may not know, were at that point were mostly classroom work. So you were in the classroom for two years learning about all the systems and all the things. And then the last two years was kind of your time to go out and experience different areas of medicine to figure out where you where you fit the best, uh, you know, what would be your thing. So when I started that third year, I said, oh my gosh, with 100% certainty, I know that I do not want to be a psychiatrist. And I know with 100% certainty, I don't want to be a surgeon. Like those were the two things I went in and said, I'm open to anything else except those two things. Mm-hmm. And I got to my psychiatry rotation and honestly, I mean, I I loved it. Like when I tell you I loved it, I mean, I had so much fun. Um, and, and it seems weird to say like, oh, you had so much fun working in a, in a mental health unit. I had fun learning about yeah. the people and their disorders. And I had fun um, just trying to figure it all out, you know, just piecing it all together. And then as I got, you know, more into it and I'm on this hospital unit and I, and I have these black patients who, who are like, oh, like you're going to be my psychiatrist, mm-hmm. even though I was still a student. They, they didn't really understand the, the differences, but like they felt so comfortable and I was able to connect with them in a way that not a lot of other doctors or other people on the treatment team could connect with them. And then that was just a plus. I mean, I grew up in the deep South. I grew up in a black neighborhood. I grew up, you know, I mean, I grew up with black people. I went to an HBCU, like I'm black. <laughs> so I, I grew up, I went into medicine because I wanted to take care of black people. And yeah. that was 
that was just a space that I could kind of jump into and make a difference uh, because we, we mental health is mental health is so tricky and it's so difficult to, it's so difficult to relate to people when you, when you don't have anything to build a foundation on and, and, and just walking in a room and a person seeing my face, there's automatically for a lot of people that look like me, a lot of comfort in like, Oh, I can breathe. Okay. Okay. Now let's get down to talking about, you know, what's going on because they just, just that initial nervousness just kind of, kind of goes away and melts away. Mm. Wow. I really appreciate all of that. And I just love how like you were discovering like, oh, psychiatry, you know, it's it's kind of cool. Like, you know, well, you know, cool in a sense, like you actually enjoy like doing it and you're passionate about your work, you know. And so yes. I love how you went through that phase of discovery. And I just also love your passion for like helping those marginalized communities, specifically the Black community, because I resonated with what you said about having someone in the mental health sphere who looks like me. Like, that is, like, a huge thing. Because even speaking of my personal experience, I've had, like, experiences with white mental health professionals versus, like, Black mental health professionals. And no shade to the white mental health professionals, but I prefer like a woman of color who is able to more empathize with my experiences also. And so I really appreciate that about your journey. I have lots of colleagues who are fantastic at what they do, who are, who are not black, uh, not people of color, period. And, and they do great. But we we've all had experiences with healthcare professionals. I mean, even as a physician, we've all had experiences with healthcare professionals who did not look like us. And and you, you just didn't feel the connection. It's very difficult to have to go into a service that I'm paying for and have to explain my existence just for you to be able to help me. It just takes off some of the, some of the little getting to know you stuff, like some stuff, you know, patients say to me and they don't have to explain what it means or they, mm-hmm. they just don't have to go into those extra layers of explanation. And, and that, that is comforting, especially at a time when people first go to a psychiatrist or you go to a therapist, you're not usually going in for the first visit saying, Hey, I'm doing really great mentally. I just wanted a checkup. Like most of the time <laughs> you're in a not good space. So to right. not feel well. And then on top of that, have to you catch that person up to your life and all these things it can be a lot it's just really overwhelming yeah for sure and i i also like want to speak to the fact that you're right we don't have to explain the cultural context behind all of it with people who share those cultural experiences with us you know and that is like a huge like burden that's lifted off of you because you're like oh you get me you know Mm -hmm. and i appreciate that absolutely Yeah. So I wanted to also talk about your own mental health journey and how that kind of influenced your decision to pursue your career path. I, growing up, I mean, I have said I grew up in the deep South. I grew up in the South. It just wasn't a thing. You know, mental health was not something we ever talked about. Um, I can remember having losses, you know, friends, childhood friends as, as a kid, to actually both of these young ladies lost their lives to um, sexual assaults at the hands of their mom's boyfriends. Uh And I can remember having these kinds of experiences growing up, but it was never something anybody ever talked about 
about. Nobody ever said, oh, you should go talk to somebody. I mean, I, I grew up in a in an era and in a time where definitely, you know, you don't go talk to some strange white man about your problems. And I think that's what we thought of psychiatrists. Like they were all strange white men, right? That's what we thought. Mm -hmm. And we thought, well, I don't want to go. I'm not going to air my business out to this person. You know, that, that doesn't right. feel safe to do. So really it was all suppressed. I mean, everything was like, you just deal with it. You just move on. You just deal with it. You move on. I, I look back, there are people in my neighborhood who I'm sure now had, I'm sure now looking back that these people had schizophrenia. And I look back at how these people were not in treatment. They were, the community rallied around them. I'll give them that. The community rallied around them in all their instability and still made sure they ate and, you know, their basic needs were taken care of. But mm -hmm. they weren't in treatment. I don't know if anybody ever said, hey, have you thought about getting some help? Hello again. Before you dive into the rest of today's episode, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your support and for hitting that play button. If you want to expand on that support, here are three ways that you can do so. One, leave a review. If anything in today's episode resonated with you, or you want to share how the podcast changed your life, you can do so by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. Two, check out our shop. The Rough Edges Shop is a faith-based, women-of-color-owned online shop where you can get a variety of products from tote bags, journals, t-shirts, crewnecks, and more. 20% of the proceeds go to a mental health organization. So check it out at roughedgespodcast.com slash shop. Three, connect on social media. Rough Edges is on a variety of social media platforms, including Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and more. If you want to connect outside of listening to the podcast episodes, you can do so on those platforms. If you have any more questions or want more information on the ways that I've just discussed, you can check out the episode description or stay to the end for more information. Now, enjoy your episode. We just didn't talk about it. So as, as I got into, you know, my, my medical school training and, and you get into like, oh, okay, so these people are in the hospital. But what I was seeing is like, we're waiting until we're so sick that we need to be in the hospital. Mm. Yeah. And then I thought, well, that's not good. Like we have to be able to, to get in before, uh, which was one of those things that led me to like, I, I want to be the face. I want to be the person they say, oh yeah, I want to see, I'll talk to her. Like, yeah, I'll, I'll talk to her. Like if she can explain it to me and she can help me understand why I need treatment, I'll talk to her. I want it to be that space. For me, mentally, from personally, it really has unfolded through all of these these layers in my career, all these steps in my career that I've hit and being there for other people and realizing that my childhood wasn't as great as, I don't know, I, I won't even say maybe I thought it was, but you look back as an adult, like, you know, I'm married now, I have children, so being a being a a new wife, I've been married almost 25 years, but being married to somebody um, and then realizing 
as an adult that, ooh, I have a lot of ways that are rooted in dysfunction that I had no idea were rooted in dysfunction until you have to cohabitate with another person and and you start saying, ooh, I don't, I don't like, I don't like how I was looking in that moment. Like if if I'm playing that back in my head, I'm like, oh, and, and having to kind of face up to some of that stuff. So my own mental health journey really has been more of more of acceptance of, of, of where I came from, who I am, and what changes I feel like I need to make to be a person that I'm proud of every day. Mm, yes. Wow. I, I really like appreciate a lot of what you said, especially about how the community often is not really receptive to mental health. And especially like, I also have a similar upbringing in terms of like the West Indian culture, because yes. with them it's like, oh, you're feeling sad. Oh, take a nap or drink some yes. soup. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's like you I'm depressed. You're not depressed. What you got to be depressed about? It, right. it, do you not understand? That's like telling somebody you don't have high blood pressure. Which what do you what do you have going on to have high blood? You would never tell somebody that. You would never tell somebody, snap out of that diabetes. Go go take a nap. Like you we don't do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Black people right. are hilarious. We we discount children and we discount people's feelings all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, oh, if you don't have a broken leg, like you could just get up, shake it off. It's fine. Like <laughs> I remember being little and like a kid, you say something like, Oh, my back hurts. And my grandparents would be like, You don't even have a back. You just have a gristle. And I'm like, I d- but I have bones. I have a back. I just <laughs> have a back. Like we we just discount children so much. It's terrible. <laughs> Yeah, like, oh my gosh. It's like, I remember, because I first went to um, therapy in college. So I was telling my parents, like, to them, they were like, oh, you're doing well, like, you're acing your classes, whatever. I was like, guys, I think I should go to therapy, you know, because there's a lot going on emotionally. And they were like, what do you need to go to therapy for? Like, (laughs) you're doing fine. You're on the needs list. Like, what do you need to go to therapy for? And I'm like, like, your life is perfect. We're your parents. Things are good. What what did we do wrong? What did we do wrong that you need to go to therapy? Parents. Yeah, I know. But the thing is about that, and and like to your point earlier, is like we wait till it gets very severe Mm -hmm. for us to be like, okay, let me look into this. Let me at least try it out, you know? And it's like therapy doesn't have to be for the like the severe, severe moments. It could also be to help you manage like, you know, your life direction or your goals and help you process certain things. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like it's unfortunate that we wait till it gets to that severe point, you know? Yes. Yeah. And therapy really can help you help prevent you from getting to the severe. It it can right. prevent you from getting to that point where you break and then, you know, everything's a mess. Right, right. No, that's that's very true. And so getting into that same like similar um, you know, vein of like, you know, being a woman of color in these spaces. So how do you navigate your career as a woman of color? And what are some challenges that you have faced in your field? I have a fantastic support system. So I will say without that part, it would make everything else so much more difficult. Um, I, I mentioned that I've been married almost 25 years. My husband is fantastic. Um, it is it is helpful for me to have a partner who doesn't and who has never tried to, to dim my light because of his own stuff. He he is my number one supporter. Um, he talks about me to people so much so that 
like I get angry. I know it sounds crazy. You're like, why, why are you angry? If I meet somebody and they're like, oh, your husband was telling me. And I was like, I wish this man would quit talking about me out the street. I wish he would quit because somebody going to ask me for something because he he has talked me up. Somebody's going to ask me to do something else. Um, but he is he is my number one supporter. He is my biggest cheerleader. He, you know, has never tried to squash my my light or dim it um, to make his look bright. It's just it's not who he is. So that part has been extremely helpful. Um, and, and he, he and, and home has been a safe place for me to land. So regardless of how ridiculous my day is or what kind of foolishness I've had to deal with, I know that I can come home and home is my, is my peaceful place. My children are equally supportive. Uh, my daughter is, is, is in a race with her dad over who's my number one cheerleader, who's my biggest supporter. Uh, it, it is, it's great. Like they, they make it all bearable because if I, if I had to come home to, chaos and dysfunction it would make all of that stuff so much worse so I I feel very comfortable so I I would have to say it's my support system and the fact that I have worked really hard for home to be our peaceful place for all of us you know for me my husband my children like home is where we can come and you can kind of just decompress regardless of what else has happened in the world Mm, yes that is super important because I can imagine like how much of like a task it is sometimes, like especially in your field to like, you know, really dive into other people's lives and their traumas and then, you know, come home. And if you didn't have that, like you said, like it would be a whirlwind, you know? So I, I do appreciate like you expounding on the support system because a lot of the times we feel like we have to do it by ourselves Mm -hmm. and it's just that type of isolation really discourages people from actually seeking the help that they need. So I'm happy that you have that support system as well. And, you know, in addition to just my family and home, I have great friends. You know, I'm not a, I'm I'm a quality over quantity person. I'm not a, let me have a bunch of people, you know, in my, in my life and in my business, but um, (laughs) I have great friends, right? I mean, I have, and, and your friend groups, because everybody doesn't have a spouse at home or a partner at home or kids, or you may live alone. So those other groups of people become very, very valuable to you. So having, having people who are in the same phase of life as you career wise, or people who have similar goals or just people that, that can identify with your struggles and you can identify with theirs. It's helpful to have that space and a safe place where you can say, girl, let me tell you what happened to me yesterday. And she can follow back with, well, well, let me tell you what that sounds like what happened to me. And, you know, like misery, they say misery loves company, but um, (laughs) not, not necessarily misery loves company, but it's, it's, it's just nice to know that you're not the only one. Like this is something, you know, because sometimes you feel like you are losing it. So mm-hmm. like the environments we are trying to function, it will literally have us thinking we're crazy. And you'll think like, am I tripping or like, what is, is it me? Like you just don't even know what it is. So it's nice to have those people. So in addition to home being your kind of comfortable lack of chaos, lack of dysfunction place. Also having those friend groups, those colleagues, those, those just the people that you can go to and spend time with and, and be able to process through your stuff. Um, that can be very helpful too, because we, we need, you need, you need your people. You need to figure out who your people are. And once you do, you need to hold on to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. That validation is definitely priceless once you get it, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I want to shift into like your work with um, specifically bipolar disorder because uh, a little context for that. I was listening. Well, I'm an avid listener of the Inside Bipolar podcast with you and Gabe Howard. And so I really appreciate how you guys just explain like the different aspects of bipolar disorder and as someone who was diagnosed with bipolar disorder myself I really found your podcast as like a very helpful resource so I just wanted to say thank you for that oh <laughs> and, that's awesome yeah and also I just wanted to ask like why do you think bipolar disorder is so misdiagnosed because I think it's hard, uh, not hard. It is misdiagnosed because, well, it is hard to diagnose. Um, it is hard. It is one of those things that there's so many factors that go into coming up with a diagnosis. Um, bipolar disorder has ups. Bipolar disorder has lows. Bipolar disorder has normal mood states. So depending on what information you get or you are able to give to your psychiatrist or the person evaluating you, it may change what it looks like. If you if you downplay the highs and you only talk about the lows, you may very well get told that it's depression because you kind of downplayed the highs. Right. Maybe you don't maybe you downplayed the highs on purpose because you don't want to admit that you're having the highs. Maybe you downplayed the highs because you honestly just don't remember how significant they were to you. They just weren't that big a deal. Right. You know? So, and so maybe, maybe you just are like, Oh no, nah, I mean, I mean, nah, nothing like that. So they may get missed. Um, it may get misdiagnosed as depression frequently. Um, it may get misdiagnosed as schizophrenia sometimes, um, mm -hmm. because sometimes people can experience psychosis with their highs, their highs can be so severe. They may hallucinate. They may have delusions. Um, they may be paranoid. They may not be in a good space and be what we call psychotic. And as a, as a black person, you know, we have studies out there, you know, where black people were diagnosed with schizophrenia more when likely it was a lesser, um, disorder. You know, maybe it was a mood disorder with, with the psychosis, like the bipolar disorder that we're talking about. So there's lots of factors that go into getting misdiagnosed. People's diagnosis change mm. a lot. So it's not uncommon for somebody to say, I don't know what I have. I've been told I had depression. I have bipolar disorder. I got schizoaffective disorder. I got schizophrenia. Like, I don't know what I have. <laughs> I've been told all these things. Um, and so it may change based on the history and what you have to, what, what you have to give the person who's evaluating you at the moment. It, it really speaks to why to me out of, out of really most of the mental health disorders, I think it's the one that really benefits the most from consistent treatment, being mm -hmm. with someone, getting to know them, them getting to know you, them getting to see the mood patterns, them getting to, to see, oh, oh, I see what you mean. Um, them being able to say, I think this is a high. Um, and you told me you didn't have high. So tell me about how you feeling today, because this is different than what I saw the last six months I've been seeing you. Like what is, what is going on now? But those are things that take time and relationship and that person getting to know you. It's just important to have that consistency. 
Mm, yeah, that's very true. And I will attest to the consistency because my mother and sister, they have been just like my rock when it comes to like, hey, Sarah, like I'm noticing certain things about you. Like you need to calm down a little bit or talk to your psychiatrist, you know. Um, but that's really important because like you said, it doesn't feel as big to you when you're experiencing it. Like you could just be like, oh, I'm very productive. I haven't right. slept in a couple days. That's fine. Like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And everything makes sense to you in that moment. You know, I tell people it's kind of, and afterwards I tell people it's kind of like when you have a dream and you wake up and you can remember bits and pieces of the dream, yep. but you, you can't remember the details. That's right. what coming out of mania is like. So you trying to explain to your, your doctor and you're like, Oh no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I was busy. I was, you know, I was, I was more active. I was working out more. I was just, you know, I was really in tune with like my body, you know, but then your, your loved one says, you know, they walked 20 miles in a day. They were working out five hours a day. They were only eating, you know, celery and onions. They were, you know, so for, you don't tell me that part. You just tell me, well, I was more diet conscious and I, I worked out a little bit, you know, I was, I was more active because you just can't remember those details. It's the people around you, your mom. And like you say, for you, your mom and your sister who are like, oh my gosh, she's working out again. Like, didn't she work out this morning? And oh my gosh, she walked five miles and then she did 10 and da, 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 da. It's, it's those people who can give you the details. So it's, it's important that you have them. I'm glad to hear that you have your mom and sister who I'm sure keep you all the way together. Oh, oh, definitely. <laughs> like, <laughs> they are on top of it. And they and they are just, I just really love how they were open to researching it. Because for them, my manic episode was like a very severe time for them as well. Yes. And like you said, I don't really remember like most of it sometimes, you know, and they definitely do. So they're just like on top of it. They're like, hey, did you take your medication? Did you call in that prescription? Did you call me a psychiatrist like they're like all over it so I really appreciate that and I'm sure they get on your nerves sometimes I'm sure that sometimes you're like I'm a grown woman you do not need to ask me Walgreens reminds me that my pharmacy is due I don't my, my, Walgreens reminds me that my prescription is due I don't need you to also remind me that my prescription is due but they love you and that shows that shows yeah yeah no that's so true sometimes it's like okay yes yes I did <laughs> Don't don't even even before they ask sometimes I'm like yes I refilled it it's okay <laughs> start taking a picture of the bag when you pick it up like don't even ask me I got it don't even ask I have it <laughs> yeah but you're right it's all out of love but sometimes it's like all right guys it's okay <laughs> like I can manage you know <laughs> yes but yeah I I also want to kind of get back into like. You know, since in light of this, uh, at the time of this recording, it is Black History Month. And mm -hmm. I just wanted to highlight some of the aspects of like Black mental health and how our community kind of views it. And, you know, what are the sometimes challenges and aspects of that that we deal with. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to talk about the strong Black woman or the strong Black man trope that is always prevalent in our community. So like, what are your views on that specific thing? And how do you think that affects our willingness to seek mental health treatment? Oh my gosh. Uh, let me take a deep breath. Let me, let me take a deep breath on that one. We have a lot of work to do. You know, I think we have a lot of work to do. And honestly, we just have dealt with so much for so long and, and function through it 
and and really haven't had the luxury to focus on our mental health or or wellness or self-care. I mean, the ability to even be thinking about those things is, it's a luxury. It Mm -hmm. it is something that our our grandmothers and and our moms to some degree, it just was, it wasn't something that they, that they had the the luxury to focus in on. I mean, was, was the, were those kinds of things, their mental health and, and, and worrying about those things, they were surviving. So for us to be in this space, I think it's important that we kind of show some grace to those people who came before us mm-hmm. um, because a lot of us are dealing with a lot of the the negative consequences of being raised by our parents, actually, and our grandparents. And, and we're dealing with that. And, and it hasn't always been positive. I mean, I, it hasn't always been positive. But I think we, we can at the same time say it wasn't always positive. But we can understand like where they were coming from, what was going on with them. Um, and, and we can't expect them to to see why we think treatment is necessary or why we think therapy is valuable. We can't expect that from them. And we don't need it from them because we're grown now. So we, right. we don't need that. Like we can make our own decisions. You don't have to agree. That's fine. It, but I'm letting you know this is what I'm doing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and honestly, I think it's younger generations who kind of open the idea up to the older generations because they see you like, oh, she's not as angry and she, oh, she looks very happy and maybe this mental health thing is, maybe this is something. But we have to be kind to each other. We have to think about the words we use with each other. You know, we throw the word crazy around a lot. We throw, we throw going back to bipolar disorder and, you know, why, why nobody has an idea of what it is, is because we throw bipolar disorder around, you know, somebody has mood swings or, you know, is an irritable person. And we're like, oh, that girl's bipolar. Well, maybe not. Like just being angry doesn't mean you have bipolar disorder, but we we throw words around a lot. Um, I think we just have to, to be, we just got to be there for each other. We got to let, we got to let people be. Yeah. We got to quit minimizing each other's stuff. Like, oh girl, you're not depressed. Oh, girl, don't nobody want to hear that. You know, somebody mm-hmm. confides in you. Like, I just sometimes feel like it, my family would be better off if I wasn't here. Girl, that's crazy. Don't talk like that. What you cooking for dinner? Like, we just we just gloss on past it. Like, we have to stop doing that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and we, we just we just got to we just got to be open. Right. Um, we need to hear what people are saying to us because black people are so good for telling you they're not well, but without using the words, they're not well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many, how many times have I heard older black women say, Ooh, my nerves bad. Like, what does that mean? Like, I can't, right. ooh, my nerves bad. I can't, Oh, I can't do that. Cause my nerves, Ooh, my nerves too bad for that. Anxiety, just anxiety, anxiety, anxiety. But right. you ask them, you know, or do you have anxiety? No, uh-uh, I don't have anxiety. But you always talking about your bad nerves. Like, what is right. that? Um, you know, we talk about nervous breakdown. Oh, head nervous. What is a nervous breakdown? I did to, as a psychiatrist, that word means nothing to me. There's no definition of a nervous breakdown. But what does it mean to you? Like, what words do you have to describe what happened to you? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, you know, we just... Like we, and if we talk about it more, I think it'll be more commonplace for us to feel comfortable talking about it and for us to feel comfortable supporting each other through it. So I think we just have to get more comfortable. And it, the pandemic really, I think, shown us that a lot of us weren't well. And it got so, it got so big 
that we didn't have a choice but to talk about it because we were all <laughs> struggling. Like everybody was struggling with something. And so yeah. I think we, we started talking about it a little bit more and I'm hoping we continue to talk about it because this whole, like, I got to be the strong black woman. I don't, I don't want to be strong. Like I want to be soft. I want to be strong <laughs> when the occasion calls for it. But other times I want to be like super soft. Like my husband will tell you in the evening, sometimes I can't even figure out what I want to eat. I'm like a child. I am. Like, we go to a restaurant. If I've had a stressful day, I am sitting there like I can't figure out what to eat. He is literally going through the menu with me. Like, look at this side. Do you want anything on this side? Does anything over here look good? And I'm like, no. And he's like, okay, don't look at that side anymore. What about this section right here? And I was like, oh, that looks kind of good. He's like, okay, keep that in mind. What about up here? Like, I cannot even work my way through a menu. And I'm perfectly happy not being able to work my way through a menu. I am happy. Uh, not being able to do things. I'm in charge all day. I don't, I don't want to be in charge sometimes. Sometimes I want to not be, and that's okay. You know, I, I I don't feel any kind of way about a man doing anything for me. I don't feel any kind of way about him making decisions for me. It's fine. Like, I'm, I'm totally fine with that. I don't have to be on it all the time. I have burned my cake a long time ago. Superwoman cake, it's gone. It's on fire. I said it on fire. It's done. It's gone. I don't feel the need to be perfect. I don't feel like I have to be strong all the time. Who's strong all the time? Nobody. Like, I, I don't, nobody is. There's literally right. nobody. And, and we think our moms were, and we think our grandmas were, but you know what? They were probably breaking down after we all went to bed because mm. they were so, you know, so beat down with all the responsibilities they had. And we, you know, we see this, oh, you know, I don't need, I don't need anybody for anything. That's just not true. I need people. Yes, I need them. Now I might not need a whole lot of them, and I might not need them all the time, but I do at some point need people. And and I think we have to also re we have to reimagine what we think of when we think of men, and what we think of you know as masculine. Mm-hmm. And we're very comfortable with women being assertive. We're very comfortable with our black women being strong and and having kind of masculine, traditionally what are thought of as masculine qualities, right? Like we're comfortable with the women being like, yeah, she's a strong black woman and she's doing it all by herself and she don't need nobody. Like she, we're comfortable with that. We're not comfortable with the opposite when it comes mm-hmm. to our men. Like we we want them to, you know, we don't want to see you cry. We don't want to see you get excited. We don't want to see you, like, we, we don't want to see you soft. Like, we want you to, you know, we, we don't want to see that. But that's not true. Like, I want to see it. Like, I, I want to see, I want to see Black men just being happy. Right. I just want to see them doing just ridiculous things. Just having a good old time. Uh, my daughter was showing me a video the other day of these teenagers, these young Black guys, and they go thrift shopping. And they, and they, you know, just have so much fun. And I was like, look at all that joy. Look at all, like, they are just so happy. I would watch them just because I like to see black men be happy. I like it happy, like silly stuff, like thrifting and cracking jokes. And like, I I love that. So I think we need to give our, our, we need to give our girls permission to be soft. Like, it's okay. You can be soft still be assertive and still be independent. Like, I think it's okay. And we also need to work on giving our young men the room and the space to be, to be happy and to, to, to not be hard all the time and to be emotional and to show their emotions and to be able to talk through their emotions without being seen as soft or whatever other word we want to use. But like, we have to start that when they're little and that's how we 
people see the change. You can't wait until somebody's an adult and you've, you know, their whole life told them, don't cry. Men don't cry. Don't show your emotions. Don't be soft. And then when they're 40, expect them to figure it out. Like, that's just not how it works. But what we can do is when we have our little boys and our little girls and we can instill those things in them early so they grow up as that's their way of life. Like, oh, I'm a man and I can be strong, but I can also be sad about stuff and I can be so happy that I'm drawn to tears and that's okay. Like these, okay. these things are good, but we got to start that when we're little. We can't wait until we're grown to try to fix a lot of that stuff. No, absolutely. I agree with that. And I, I also love what you said about like, there's this generational like disconnect sometimes because even like what you said about we need to be gracious, you know, to the older generations because they they're operating on what they were taught, you know, and it's like a lot of the times sometimes I have to explain like to my mom, like, hey, like this is what this is how I can verbalize like what I'm feeling. And it's OK if you could do the same, you know, and I think we've gotten comfortable as a community with just having to fight all the time like fight mm-hmm. to be heard fight exactly. to be seen yeah and it doesn't really like it, it harms us in a way because it's like while we're fighting all the time we're neglecting really important aspects of ourselves and our mental health that it's just like we're afraid to be vulnerable sometimes or afraid to like you know mm-hmm you know, express those feelings. And it's a fine line. I mean, I, it is, it is a very fine line. It sounds like in your case, your mom is, is, is willing to, to meet you halfway. Your mom mm-hmm. is willing to be uncomfortable because I can only imagine it's very uncomfortable for her to talk about her feelings and <laughs> to be able yeah. to not pop off and tell you, you know, look, this is just what it is. You know, like, I mean, that's really hard for um, black moms. For sure. I guess it's really hard because that's yeah. not what they know. I mean, you know, that's, it's not, it's not comfortable to them, but at least your mom is trying. Um, yeah. And there is a fine line between being gracious to our older generations and letting them abuse us too. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes we give people excuses and we're like, well, that's just how they are. That's mm. just how, that's just how, you know, that's just how that person is. But sometimes our, our older folks are damaging to us. Like they, they, they were damaging to us as kids. And they continue to be damaging to us. Right. Right. Yeah. Sometimes you have to sit in what you're feeling. You have to experience it. Like, don't let it overwhelm you, but actually mm-hmm. acknowledge that it's there and just like try to manage it, but don't dismiss it right away. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And move forward in a way that it feels better. Right. Right. Like, don't move forward and continue to fight. <laughs> right. Right. Why do we, everything can't be a fight. I just refuse to live my life where everything is a fight. I just, I can't. I can't. I, just, I, cannot. I cannot. I cannot. I cannot. Yeah. No, definitely. So, what would you say then to a person of color, specifically like a Black person who is hesitant? about even like going to therapy like what would you say to them to like get them to be a little bit more open to doing so you know um you can't do it by yourself if you could you'd feel better already I mean I think for I mean the honest to God truth is if you if you are depressed if you are not able to enjoy life if you are just going through the motions if you if you think about, you know, when did I last enjoy something? Like, when did I last laugh? When when was I happy? Nobody's happy all the time. 
nobody's saying you should be happy all the time, but when the occasion calls for it, can you be happy? You know, if you're doing something with the people you love and care about or with family or it, and you don't enjoy it, mm. or if you don't feel present, you don't feel engaged, you just are going so that, you know, your mom isn't asking you why you weren't there. You know, if, if you just can't, it's time to to go talk to somebody. Life is too I mean, it's it's too short, but it's too long for you to go through it miserably. Like, I mean, right. for most, I mean, it's just too long for you to not be able to enjoy the really great parts of life. Like, there are some great parts out there, and if you can't see them because you're so cloudy with all the depression or the anxiety or whatever it is, then you, you need to talk to somebody to help you work through that stuff. Mm. Yeah, that that's very like crucial, especially with like recognizing, like you said, the signs, like if you're not enjoying or at least like trying to manage like those like emotions, because sometimes emotions can be difficult and things that you're going through can be very tasking on your mental health. And it's just like, how do you navigate that? And a lot of the times it's like you can only do it by yourself for so long, like you were saying, you know, some of the things that we learn growing up are not things that were spoken to us like right. we learned we learned from our parents behaviors our aunts and uncles behaviors our grandparents behaviors we learn we learn how to be adults from the adults around us when we're kids like that's what we learn and sometimes right. we learn some really terrible habits <laughs> sometimes we learn some things that we have to unlearn right. uh and, and it can be a good way to help you un learn i mean there 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 are a lot of people i see who say you know i don't get along with my mom like i we don't get along we we i, I you know I, I i don't like who she is as a person but i'd be doggone if as a parent i don't find myself sometimes acting like my mom you know and yeah. it, it's hard to not repeat those behaviors because you it's just so ingrained in you and you don't realize it sometimes you need some help to get through that kind of stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, so, Dr. Nicole, I want to thank you so, so much for joining me on the podcast today. But before we go, I have one last question for you. All right. So, <laughs> so what advice or words of encouragement do you have for people who are struggling to manage their mental health? I don't give up on you. Um just don't give up. I mean, do not, do not give up. It is easy to get frustrated with the system because the system is maddening. I mean, I'm frustrated with the system and I work in the system. Um, I have attempted to, to help loved ones maneuver the healthcare system. And I've been so frustrated. I've wanted to give up, mm-hmm. but you can't give up because if you give up because you can't find a place, you can't find the right person, you can't, you can't get in for three months. You can't, you know, whatever the can't is, just don't give up because at the end of the day, you're only hurting you by giving up. And those are really, they're really big barriers in the moment, but sometimes they're really small things also. Um, You know, people will say, well, I tried to get in with a therapist and everybody had a three month waiting list. So I just gave up. Well, I mean, three months later, you are still in the same place. You could have just gotten on somebody's waiting list and and three months would have passed and you at least would have been in treatment, right? Like you would have, or somebody says, well, I, you know, I just couldn't find anywhere. But how, how, how well did you look? How, how hard did you look? 
Um, and I get it. The system has failed us in a whole lot of ways and we don't trust it. And we're not sure about some of the people that work in the system, but you just cannot give up on yourself. If you don't like that therapist, if you guys aren't clicking, um, just don't, don't give up on therapy, period. Don't say, well, I, I'm just never going to never going to go to therapy again because I had one experience that was terrible, but work mm-hmm. on trying to make it a meaningful experience. I mean, it it's hard. So the, the one piece of advice, just do not give up because at the end of the day, you're the one that suffers when you do. Yes, I, I agree with that. Well, thank you so much again, Dr. Nicole. And where can people find you? Ooh, I am on social media, on most platforms, at Dr. Nicole Sykes, so D-R-N-I-C-O-L-E-P-S-Y-C-H, and I have a website, drnicolesyke.com, and I'm usually posting stuff and, you know, always seeing what what I'm up to, what I'm doing. Yes, well, I will have all of those in the episode description, and everyone stay tuned for more empowering episodes on Rep Edges. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Rough Edges podcast with Sarah I. Fox. If you want more updates on the podcast, you can follow on Instagram at rough.edges.podcast or you can visit the official podcast website at roughedgespodcast.com. Thanks again for listening and have a wonderful day.